this point that so this recording is just going to be starting in the middle of me talking which is fine uh that like depression is uh like 20 minutes of intense exercise every day is uh equally effective to a lot of antidepressants right so you can see there a connection between what a lot of people would think of as kind of a, a mental problem, a mental health problem, and a bod- like a bodily connection, right? And, and these things affect one another. Similarly, our spiritual life is also affected by all these things, right? That, um, I mean, the Lord uh, preaches about things like gluttony, for instance, that, uh, and, and during Lent we do things like fast, right? So the... Um, the body and the soul are are connected to one another a- intimately and so is the mind the mind's all part of that right so i think when we read these things biblically uh, about this this man that cries out that cuts himself that has to be bound up um the bible attributes this to satanic action which it, it certainly is but i i kind of find an interesting mind exercise that to think about how would our society think of this person, right? And I don't think they would think of it as a like automatically as a demon possession, right? Per se, they they would think, well, demon possession that's just in the movies, right? Um, but this guy this guy needs to be diagnosed with these mental health disorders, right? And cutting. So the reason I brought that up is this cutting himself with stone. So it was popular when I was in high school. I don't know how popular it is now if it's waxed or waned in popularity but there were uh people who were more in the kind of emo and goth crowd who would cut themselves right and they would say we're we're depressed right so we cut ourselves um that's a spiritual problem right Uh, self-harm right To, to harm yourself in that way it's a spiritual issue at play there something's wrong with that person's soul right now that could there, there's a lot of factors that go into that, but they're all connected, right? So I think um, it's important to re- recognize these things and recognize uh, where there might even be d- demonic influence, right? Demo- some kind of demonic oppression, right, going on in, in someone's life. And uh, we get some some kind of interesting signs here of that, okay? And, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's telling about Jesus, and all that. And at this point, Festus, this is Acts twenty-six twenty-four. Yep. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul. He shouted, "Your great learning is driving you insane." Right. I'm not insane, most sense of Festus Paul replied. So there's an escape for you just talking about just being yeah purely out of that. Right. Yeah. They they think uh they think the guy's insane, but really it's a but even that, for Agrippa and Festus, that's a spiritual problem, right? Because they cannot recognize the truth. And they, they have to put it in this category that uh, makes it make sense to them, right? And I think our world does that a lot. It sees spiritual problems, and it tries to put them in scientific categories that we can try and make sense of. Um, but it doesn't recognize that there's no, um, there's no peace without, without Christ, without the peace of Christ. Right, so um, anyway, all right. Uh, when Jesus uh, saw from a distance, he
he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want me what do you want to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? And so here we have another instance, which is uh, Mark is big on, where the demon is the, one of the first to recognize Jesus as the Son of God, right? But earlier Jesus had told the demons, right, don't tell people yet, right? Um, because the demons know, of course, who this is, but uh, Jesus wants to show it. Um, by his going to the cross and dying for sins and his preaching specifically. He does not want to show it um, by the testimony of demons. Swear to God that you won't torture me. And they also know he has power over him, right? So that the the demon, it, the devil is so interesting, right? Because the devil knows he's lost. He knows who Jesus is. And yet he still hates him and he still fights against him, right? And, and this, he says, so swear to God that you won't torture me. And so Jesus does not, uh, J- Jesus is a very good politician, right? And he answers the question that he wanted to be asked, not the one that was asked of him, right? And he does the, he, instead of responding to this demon, um, to his request, he simply casts the demon out of the man, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion. He replied, for we are many. The demon's pronouns are they, them, right? Um, And this is is the nature of demons. So Jesus talks about this in Matthew, that uh, one demon goes in, and then it, when it goes out, it goes and finds seven others and brings it back to the same place, right? So the demons, um, they're like a, I mean, they're an army, right? And they like to, they like to form together for battle. And um, I said that they, them thing kind of half jokingly, uh, but it is, that, that's another instance, right? So this, this whole um, pronoun transgenderism debacle we're living in is, I think, another instance of, of a very spiritual problem, right? Because God made man, man and woman. And this is how God created uh, man in his image, is to make uh, mankind man and woman. And to not even be able to say what a man is and what a woman is on the basis of creation um, or what the world would call biology is... Uh, the sign of not just like stupidity, right? I mean, like you can see the stupidity in it. Um, there's that like Matt Walsh documentary, right? What is a woman? You can watch that. It's fine. And you can see kind of like people's inability to express very basic things about life. But the um, the real problem is a spiritual problem. Right? It's not just an IQ problem, it's a spiritual problem. And for someone to say, my pronouns are they, them, right? It's, it does sound like this, right? That they have so many like thing, personalities in their head, right? That, that they are under an, an influence that is not their own. And so, um, yeah, that's, that, that it's very interesting here, right? That um, 
they, the demon says, my name is Legion. He replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Right. So the area here is interesting, by the way. I should have done this back at the beginning. Um, I was actually going to like read the whole thing and go back, and then I didn't. I just started talking. So, um, so we have Capernaum, right? Um, which is the center of Jesus' ministry, and this is kind of in the northern area of Galilee, right? So then, um, and we have the Sea of Galilee. Uh, right here, Capernaum's kind of on the on the edge. Actually, Capernaum's more on the that side of it, right there. Right, and then uh, they go across the river here, right across the lake, uh, to the area of the uh, Gerasenes um, or the Decapolis, which is um, right here. So, Decapolis, you've probably heard this before, but Decapolis means ten cities, right? So there's ten little towns. Uh, here in this region on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. Um, but the point about this is that this is um, this is Gentile land, right? So we have the the river, you know, Jordan River running here. And um, on this side, right, is the Jewish land, right, promised land. On this side is kind of the, the eastern side is more the Gentile land. So they're in Gentile territory. And it's very notable here that the uh, the demons want to be in the place of paganism, right? They don't want to be. They want to stay in the area. They don't want to be in the the place of religion, right? They want to be in the place of of paganism, right? Don't send us out of the area. A large herd of pigs. This is, by the way, a sign that you're in Gentile territory, right? <laughs> you can't have pork, right? So um, the 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 Jewish people don't have pork. So they're a uh, large herd of pigs uh, feeding on the hillside. And the demons beg Jesus, send us among the pigs, right? Which again, um, so Paul, uh, obviously we, we're very well aware as Lutherans who know Romans and Galatians very well the, about the Gentile mission and about how um, now there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile and all that, that stuff. It is um, note, notable though, Actually, we had an instance of this today in the gospel reading that Jesus does talk about how he comes first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, right? I came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In a way, Jesus isn't joking there, right? Um, that his his job was to come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel first. Uh, Paul says this in Romans as well, right? Uh, Romans 1.16, um, the gospel is the power of God to save uh, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And um, sometimes Paul, what I, what I wanted to talk about here for a minute, is Paul will, actually he does, he does this in the epistle reading for today, um, in 1 Thessalonians 4. He will use the term Gentile in substitution for the word uh, basically pagan, right? He'll use the word Gentile not to talk about non-Jews, but to talk about what like unbeliever pagans act like right so he's like don't um how's that go in the epistle reading is that like uh he's talking about fleshly temptations and sexual immorality and he says something like don't act like the gentiles do right so 
uh, we do get this a little bit here. It's not supposed to be like a um, like a matter of race by any means, but it is a kind of distinction that both Jesus and Paul use uh, to talk about the difference between believers and unbelievers. And uh, they they want to stay in the Gentile territory, and the the demons uh, want to be in in the these kind of Gentile animals, right? So there is this this interesting uh, thing going on here about the Gentile region and the Jewish region uh, that the uh, what now there's a there's a bit of a twist at on it at the end of the story. So anyway, I just wanted to point that out. All right, a large, uh, large herd of pigs, demons, demons begged Jesus and the pigs, allow us to go into them. Um, and he gave them permission. Now notice that Jesus has to give permission for what the demons do, right? And this is Jesus' great authority, right? This is the one of the big themes in Mark is that the demons need the permission of Jesus to do something, that he has all the authority of heaven and earth, right? And in a way, it's like he's already won the battle, right? He's already won the war because... Um, yeah, there are demons, and yeah, they're oppressing people, but Jesus has the authority to cast them out, right? And so there we are. And the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs, the herd, about 2,000 in number, right? And we're not this, – this is kind of an interesting thing. Um, were there 2,000 demons in the man? Um, not necessarily. I mean – it could be that this legion of demons went into this legion of pigs um, and that it's not supposed to be an exact number. I mean, normally numbers in the Bible do mean something, and I don't know what the significance of 2,000 is. Maybe someone can look that up. But um, I think it was, it was two sows and pigs, and they just mis- misrode it. Mm, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Here it says... My name is I just Legion got that. It took me a second. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> 2,000. Uh-huh. was made up of 6,000 men. So here the term suggests... Yeah. That, okay, so 6,000. And it didn't matter how many evil spirits were in one body, as you said. Right. Jesus implied that, you know... Yeah. To seven in one... Yeah, so I was, was going to bring that up. The... Um, but anyway, a legion is 6,000 men. Yeah, a legion is a Roman military term, yeah. right? And so uh, you, I, we still have that, right? We have like the American legion, right? So it's a it's a military term. And it is, like I, I kind of mentioned that earlier too, right? The demons act like a military, right? They're the devil's military. Um, so it's interesting they use a military term and a Roman military term, right? A Roman military term. So again, that kind of connection to... Gentilic type things. Um, yeah, but so that in a way it's contradictory, right? Because it's six thousand demons, right? If it's a legion of demons, but then it's two thousand pigs. So um, the point, I think, the point is um, a thousand in the Bible is generally like a lot, right? And so so it's um, like the thousand year reign of Christ, right? I think it's this this full big long reign of Christ, right? I don't think it's literally a thousand years, or um, 144,000 saints in heaven is not literally 144,000. It's um, 
the the twelve times twelve times a thousand. So. Or a day is like a, as a thousand years. Yeah. Right. So when you get these thousands references, I think it's supposed to just be a really big number of of demons and pigs. All right. And they went down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Now, an interesting question for me is, did the demons here perish in some way? Right. Because demons are eternal beings. Biblically speaking, generally speaking, right? They're fallen angels. They're eternal beings. And Jesus does have that reference, right, where he talks about a demon leaving a place and then going somewhere else, right? And so they were casting the pigs and then the pigs drowned. I think the demons survived. I'm not I'm not sure. Yeah. What's your thoughts, John? Well, isn't uh, the implication that the abyss is the only place where they truly perish? Right. I mean, they're defeated that, no, in they, the abyss. They did not die. Right. They were just in, in the pigs underwater. Yeah, they're so cast they're... down. And that's a good point. They go down into the bank, right? Um, and always pay attention when the Bible talks about something going up or going down, right? Joseph goes down into the pit, and then he's raised up to the right hand of Pharaoh. It's a death and resurrection, Right. Similarly here, the, the demons go down into the bank, into the lake. So I do think that's a good point. They go down into the abyss. Anyway, I just think that's an interesting question is like, okay, what actually happened to the demons though? Uh, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right hand and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Right, so it would be quite a sight, right, to see a guy who was so possessed by demons, he was breaking chains and, you know, being insane. I mean, everyone would know who he was, right? And then they see him and he's able to talk, he's in his right mind, nothing's wrong with him. Um, so they're afraid. And those who had seen it told the people what happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their regions, their region. So again, we get this region thing, right? And the the Gentiles don't want him there yet, right? Now, what's amazing in the Gospels is when we get these stories about the faith of Gentiles, right? We get the Canaanite woman today in the Gospel reading, or you get the uh, the Canaanite at at the cross, right? The uh, no, the um. Who's that? The uh, the centurion. That's what I meant to say. Centurion at the cross. All right, the, the Gentile. So you get these Gentiles who recognize Jesus, uh, right? The Or the wise men is another instance of that. But um, for the most part, the reason that those stories are amazing is because the, the Gentiles, don't, they don't want him. They don't want anything to do with him, right? And they don't, they don't really care that the Pharisees don't like him, right? They don't care about the inner Jewish debate, right? They're, they're like, we don't want your, your Jesus religion around here, right? Whatever it is, your Messiah religion. And they're afraid of his power, right? Because they do recognize that he has power. As Jesus was getting to the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, right? So he doesn't want to be left with all these pagans that he was around because... They don't, uh, they're scared of him, for one, 
and they're scared of Jesus, who he now believes in, right? And he'd rather just go and follow Jesus. Now, what Jesus does here is quite astounding. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Now, this is totally different than what we've had so far, right? Because so far, what has Jesus been telling everyone? Don't tell anyone about me, right? And, and there's this whole messianic secret thing going on because he's focused on the cross and passion. And so with the Jews, he doesn't tell, he doesn't want them uh, talking about what he's doing because they just are going to think of him as this magic miracle worker and try and make him king and think of him as this political lord. And, and he wants them to focus on his preaching and his cross and passion. With the Gentiles, he wants what he has been, what he's done for this man to be told, right? Because he wants them to recognize his authority and his power. And, and they're not there yet, right? So uh, it's interesting. He treats people differently. Um, he would probably be racist to today's standards, right? Because he treats people differently based on where they're from, right? Um, based on the context that, that they need to hear. But it is true, right? We should... Um, the, this phrase is totally overused, but it is true. We have to meet people where they're at, right? And if you're going to tell someone about Jesus, you kind of have to talk to them in a way that they understand, right? And if they've never been to a Christian church before, that's one way. If they grew up as a Roman Catholic, that's one way. If they grew up as a Lutheran, that's another thing. You know, you have to kind of figure out what people's issues are going to be and, and deal with those issues if you're going to talk to them about Jesus. All right. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Okay, so it's a, it, an interesting thought would be like um, some of the, the Gentiles that show up later on and confess faith in Jesus, did they hear about him from this man, right? Um, I mean, he becomes an evangelist for Jesus, so it's, it's an interesting thing. All right, then we get uh, two other kind of smashed together stories about Jesus' uh, power. Yeah, well, go ahead. Just still on this topic yeah. before we get to something new. Uh, well, Jesus has destroyed all these pigs, 2,000 of them. They, they go drown in the, in the yeah. sea. And so that was their livelihood. Yeah, some of the and guys are probably mad. Uh, the pig farmers probably aren't very happy. No compensation or anything. Yep. I just and there's no mention of it after that. It's like as, as if the you know Mark was thinking, well, what do we care? They're pigs. But I was just wondering, right. you know, um, how the owners of all the two thousand pigs must have felt. That that's their livelihood. It, it's gone. Yeah, it's a good question, and you know we don't know. Like maybe the pig farmers went back home, and then there were two thousand more pigs there that Jesus provided. You know, <laughs> but we don't know. <laughs> That'd be nice, but maybe not. Well, that would make a story. Right. Um, yeah, uh, we don't. I mean, we just don't know. But yeah, it's a good. It's a good thought. Like good question. Like what? And and may, they are afraid of him, right? Um, they're. They're angry at him. So, all right. I'll keep thinking about that, and I'll ask Jesus one day. When Jesus had again crossed over by 
the boat to the other side of the lake, so he goes back over to this side. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Okay, so obviously back in Jewish territory. Uh, Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Um, I'm going to keep reading a little bit. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I only touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. She felt in her body and that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can, you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Now, this is quite interesting, right? Because who gets the short end of the stick here is uh, Jairus, right? He comes to Jesus, says, uh, you know, my daughter's about to die. Uh, please come with me. Jesus goes with him. And then he stops because some woman touches his garment and has carries on this whole conversation. And meanwhile, his daughter dies, right? And um, it's uh, quite interesting, right? We don't really get... Um, Let me see here. This is in the other Gospels as well. At least it's in Matthew, and I think Matthew and Mark are a little bit different. I think Matthew says that the um, Mark. There's this thing about the the messengers, right? So uh, the messengers come, and then they're going to. I can't remember how it goes. Anyway. Um, but what's interesting here is when we keep reading, we really don't get a lot more about Jairus, right? And you'd think like Jairus has got to be livid with Jesus at this point, right? I mean, I would be if Jesus was coming to my house to, to heal my dying child and then he stopped and then because he stopped and carried on some other conversation that the child died, right? And they're, they're, his friends are telling him, why bother the, the rabbi anymore, right? Um, anyway, we'll, we'll just keep reading, and then we'll go back and talk about some things. Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, uh, fo follow him, right? So uh, again, here we get a little bit of this messianic secret stuff where he doesn't even care about the, the crowds, right, and the people that are interested in what's going to happen, um, he only lets his disciples and seemingly Jairus right, come with him. When they came to the home, the synagogue ruler 
of the synagogue ruler, Jesus, saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why is all this commotion and wailing? The child not, is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And he put them all out and took the child's father and the mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talithia kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up, arise. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Right, so like I said there, it's kind of interesting that we really don't get much more about Jairus, right? Um, instead, he, he's just, Jesus just says like, shut up and follow me, right? And uh, sometimes that's the message we need to hear, I think, right? Um, is just don't worry about it. It doesn't matter that everything seems like it's falling apart. Just shut up and follow me, right? And don't worry about the crowds, right? Like the crowds are like, the, the crowds are such a bother to Jesus. <laughs> He's like, just leave those guys alone. Just Peter, James, John, and you, like, come with me. Mother, come with me. Let's go up to the room. I'll take care of it, you know? So the the lesson here for Jairus and his wife is uh, the patience that comes with trusting in the Lord, right? The patience that's needed for that. And that Jesus has his own timing of doing things, right? And in fact, it's better for their faith that they he waited until she was dead, right? Um, because it's one thing to heal a sick person. It's another thing to raise the dead. And so we get a uh, what was going to be another just healing story into a resurrection story, right? And uh, Talithia Kuhn, right? Little girl, I say to you, resurrect. That's how we should translate it, by the way. I uh, we there's this in in the New Testament Greek in the Gospels, you get the word arise quite a bit, um, and it's the same word for resurrection. And it's always translated just like arise or stand up, which I think is so lame, right? We should say resurrect because the stories about Jesus are about resurrection, okay? Now, let's go back to the woman. Yeah, John. There's a parallel in this story and uh, with uh, raising Lazarus from the dead. Yeah, there is. But... The, there's the, the Jesus is running late with Lazarus. Jesus wants this kept secret, but everybody in the world is watching him raise Lazarus from the dead. Have scholars been able to figure out the contrast there as to why he wanted this to be secret, but he uh, had no problem with having you know many, many witnesses yeah. of him raising Lazarus. So the question is a timeline question, and we've talked about the messianic secret already. Um, my th- my theory now there's other theories out there, yeah. and it's not mine. I didn't. I should say that differently. The theory that I agree with, um, I'm not that smart. I didn't come up with these things, but is that basically for a certain point of time, for a certain period of time, and you get this pretty clearly in Mark, Jesus tells. Most people, depending on who they are, as we saw with the like in the Decapolis, it's a little different. Most people to um, not tell anyone about him until he starts to head toward Jerusalem. 
until he starts to go to the cross, right? So when he, basically, he, he doesn't want people to focus on the miracle workings that he's doing because that is not his main purpose. He wants people to focus on what happens when he's going to the cross. That's when he wants people to look at him because they don't want him to mistake him. They don't want, he doesn't want people to mistake him as just a, um, like a political king or a magic miracle worker or whatever the case is. Now, John, the raising of Lazarus is in John, and John's timeline is totally different than the synoptics, than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so it's a harder question there because um, John's timeline seems to be so different that, like, for instance, John has, like, three Passovers versus the other Gospels just have one or two. And, like, the cleansing of the temple for John happens at a different Passover than the other ones. Now, I don't think that that takes away from the historicity of any of it. I think that um, sometimes the synoptics are just compressing things when John is expanding on them. So, anyway, that's a that's a whole different conversation, but... Um, my point is, whenever La- the raising of Lazarus happens, it's at a point where Jesus is okay with people knowing about him and what he's doing. And like I, I did say um, just a second ago, resurrection is different than, than healing people, right? Resurrection um, is a little bit more focused on the work of Jesus than just a healing, right? So, uh, yeah, Ron. Right. So it wasn't like it was a secret. Yeah, it wasn't. And th- oh, this is the other thing I was going to say. Uh, thank you for reminding me. How do you keep this a secret? Right? She was dead. And then she walks back out and is hanging out with them. There's some explaining to do. <laughs> There's some explaining to do, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. They're, they're all, I mean, they're so. Um, it's kind of, it's like almost a joke that Jesus says, keep this a secret, but it's still part of his, his purpose and will, right? You go back a few verses and we were just there. He, he was going through a crowd and this woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years has been fighting her way through a crowd where Jesus is so she can touch his garment. So they all know he's a healer, hence yeah. such a crowd. Yeah. And yeah, that's been all right. So after that, Mark. Yep. It is probably a good assumption that they're all going to go to the house. Right. Being outside, of course, of Jairus's house, not go inside. Yeah. The other notable thing is Jairus is a synagogue ruler, so like he people know who he is. Yeah. Right. It like. Um, but they're all going to probably be outside wanting to, hey, well, let's see what happens. He just he healed this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, and now he's going to their house. Why? Because Jairus' daughter is dead? Oh, boy, I want to see this. Right. Yeah, that, that that's a good point. So going back to that woman then, um, so just a couple notable things there is um, – she had been suffering from this this condition for 12 years, and uh, 
this is another instance, right, where we get this uh, coming together of um, body, body and soul, where what she really wants and desires and needs is something bigger than just doctors, right? Because she says she's been suffering under this for 12 years, and she's seen many doctors and spent all the money she had, right? And um, the only hope is something greater than the body, right? Uh, which is Jesus, right? The Lord of the body, right? And so this is what she, what she needs. Um, whatever kind of bleeding this is, I mean, it seems to be some kind of womanly problem, right? So we don't need to go into too many details about that. But I mean, it is notable that it is a blood condition, right? And there's so many, there's um, a lot of kind of literary details here that make us think of Jesus and his passion, right? So she's suffering, she's bleeding, right? And um, then there's this, this is big in Mark, is the theme of garments. So uh, she sees the power in his garment. And we have a couple other things about garments in Mark, notably that we'll get to is at the in the Passion account on Maundy Thursday, um, Mark seems to insert himself into the story. At least that's the, the theory. Um, that there's this young man, this mysterious young man, who is there watching Jesus get arrested, and the guards see him and they grab him by the garment and he runs, they he pull the he's pulled out of the garment right and he runs away naked, right? So that happens in the, near the end of Mark and on Monday Thursday. And then there's a young man, the angels, in the tomb in Mark are pictured as a young man wearing a white garment. So the theory there is that that's Mark inserting himself into the story as kind of this, um, his kind of sinfulness, right, in his shame and nakedness, and then he gets to be this this angel there in the tomb, um, to to witness Christ's resurrection. Also in Christ's resurrection, right, um, Christ is uh, his garments are torn off, in the arrest and uh, crucifixion. And then they even mock him by putting purple garments on him and ripping those off. And then at the resurrection, they clothe him in white, and then the, the white garments are folded up nicely whenever they in the tomb, whenever they could find Jesus. Right. So this idea of garments is very interesting. That um, we have a lot of garments going on in in Mark, and that there's some sort of significance or power in garments. Now the woman has faith that if I only touch his garment, if I only touch his cloak, right, she'll she'll be healed, and um, and it works, right? She touches him, and she feels the suffering stop from her body. Now, what's fascinating here is that Jesus feels the power go out of him, and what we have here, it, I think, really is a picture of the atonement. Of, of what we'd call vicarious satisfaction or the substitutionary atonement, where, or what Luther, I think this is even, instead of using those fancy words, I really like the way Luther said it, the great reversal, right? Where Jesus takes our suffering, 
and our sin and our shame in, into himself, right? He takes the woman's bleeding and he's going to go to the cross and bleed for her. And he gives us his righteousness and his power, right? And uh, that's exactly what happens here, right? He takes on her pain and her suffering and gives, gives her his power, right? And, and then at the end, when I, whenever he ascends in heaven, what's he going to say? He says, all authority and power in heaven is given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, right? So um, he, he gives us his, his power and authority, which is an amazing thing. So that's the notable things there in that story uh, that interrupts the other story. Any final questions or comments on chapter 5? Yeah, go ahead. Well, I'll just read here from the notes. It says about the, the hemorrhaging. It says, the precise nature of the woman's problem is not known. Her existence was wretched because people shunned her generally. Oh, that's the other thing. It makes her unclean, right? Because it makes her unclean according to the Leviticus. Yeah, yeah. Better. I suspect she, was, she had hemophilia. I don't know. There you go. It's just a guess because nobody knows. Right. Um, yeah, I that that's actually a good point. Um, I should I should say that I am prone to ask myself questions about the Bible I can never answer. Right. But it is worth saying at a certain point, Jesus has given us what we need to know. Right. Now, we should try and mine the depths of the scriptures, right? Like, we should try and find everything we can there. But we should also not get caught up in, in trying to answer questions we just simply cannot answer, right? So. That's what it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what she had. She had an ailment to her. Right. An outcast, and Jesus healed her immediately. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's a very good point. All right. Let's, uh, let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, we praise you for all the wonderful gifts that you have given us today in word and sacrament. And uh, we pray that you would uh, help us to have the faith that sees your ability to resurrect and your ability to save. And we thank you especially for giving us your righteousness in exchange for our sin. We pray this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Yeah.